Thank you for listening to the Downtown Community Church Podcast. My name is William, and I'm the executive pastor here at DCC. DCC is located in downtown Tallahassee, and our heart is to reach the city by loving God, making disciples, and being great neighbors. We recently moved into a new church home where we can better meet the needs of our growing church with a bigger sanctuary, lobby, and expanded kids' wing. We love to have you join us as we gather each Sunday at 9, 15, 11, and 5 p.m. Please join us in praying for Tallahassee. And if you would like to make a financial contribution, learn more about DCC, or contact us, please visit downtowncommunitychurch.com, and we hope you enjoy this week's sermon. So this is your first time here. I know Mark's already said this a couple times, but one, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, one of the interesting things that happens is we, uh, whenever people come and they fill out the new person card uh, over the month of September, um, we had over 230 folks um, come for the first time to our church. And what was interesting about that is, uh, as, as, as neat and as phenomenal as that is, that is uh, we had over 40 people uh, who came to church, um, and when they filled out the card they marked, they came to church for the very first time ever. And so that's fantastic. If that's you, by the way, we're so glad that you're here. In fact, today, if you are exploring Christianity, if you're exploring God, if you're trying to figure this whole thing out, perhaps um, you were raised in a background that didn't have any faith or wasn't really like like uh, the Bible says, or the Torah says, or the Quran says, it was just kind of a, you know, what you piece together because of perhaps what some experiences that you had, some friends, some family members, but you weren't raised in a religious background, or if you were, and you walked away from it, and you're in a season of trying to refigure out, because you perhaps were raised with a faith in a Sunday school, um, or a vacation Bible school, and all of a sudden met the rigors of the real world. And now you're an adult, and you're reasoning, and you're thinking, and you're trying to piece this whole thing together and saying, you know, does God exist? What's the deal with the whole Jesus? The reason why I say all that is because this morning we are going to talk about something that is going to be so vital to what I think is the understanding of faith. And the reason I say that is because we all were raised whether we realize it or not, with religious information. We all walked into, when we walked in this morning, this church, with some thoughts about God and about Jesus and about Christianity. In the book of Galatians, Paul is defining some of the core tenets of our faith and our beliefs, specifically in Jesus, his death, resurrection, and implications, and kind of rephrasing some understandings of that. But that to say, we all walked in with some thoughts, we all walked in with some some understanding, but for many of us, there were some errors. In fact, after the first service, I was talking to a couple of folks, one, uh, one, one girl who was from California who said, you know, I didn't have a lot of church experience behind this. But, man, with what we're talking about in Galatians, it's just so clarifying because I didn't realize some stuff about God that the Bible talks about, and specifically what Paul talks about. Now, to get us going into the right direction, um, we're going to give you a little context, or I'm going to give you a little context. We, plural, there's not two of us, there's one of us up here. So, um, me and God, the Holy Spirit. So, anyways, get over yourself. Uh, So, to give you a little context what's happening, um, Paul wrote this letter. Paul, who hated the church, in fact, persecuted the church, extraordinary experience where he now becomes probably the greatest church planner in all of Christendom. In the history of Christianity, uh, a lot of it goes back to Paul outside of Jesus, but that's kind of cheating. So, you know, Paul, who hated Christians, hated the church, when all of a sudden the gospel, the story of Jesus goes forward, there are these two groups of people. There was the Jews and there was the Gentiles. There was the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews had the history of faith. 
The Jews had the Isaiahs, they had the Amoses, they had all of the people, they had the Abrahams, they had the books, and they had the Moseses. They had all of the people, all of the backstory, all of the lineage. They had the law, which is how they basically explained all of the morality of God. And there was the Gentiles. Because when Peter, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, Holy Spirit comes down, Peter gives a sermon. This sermon, thousands of people get saved, which were predominantly Jewish folk. After that, the gospel starts going out. The story of Jesus starts going out. The message of Jesus starts going out. And all of a sudden, the Gentiles start placing their faith, their hope, their trust in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, which created a bit of a conundrum. Because they thought the Messiah was for the Jews only. And through some conversations, realized that the gospel was, in fact, for everyone. Now, here's what's good news about that. If you're in here and you're not Jewish, not Jewish by heritage, if you're in here and you're not Jewish, you would have been considered a Gentile. And so people back in their day would have looked at you and said, I don't know, perhaps, if this is for you. But as the understanding of Jesus was for anybody and everybody there was a huge diversity of thought that came into play because all of the jews had the history of god and all of the gentiles had a history of lots of different gods all of the jews had the morality as, as described in the old testament all of the gentiles man we don't know it just kind of was dependent on everybody to decide or depending on whatever religion or god that you kind of majored in is how you viewed god and so there was this theological friction that happened at the same time judaism as much as anything was an ethnicity So there was an ethnic tension that existed in the early church as the Jews and the Gentiles came together. And Paul, in this, writes and describes as these two different groups brought different thoughts into God. Now, let me give you the two groups and then we'll kind of proceed forward with all the verses that we're going to talk about. The first was the Jews' problem. The Jews had a lot of a sense of what we would describe today as this idea of legalism. Legalism is basically saying Jesus plus morality equals salvation, or Jesus plus anything equals salvation. Jesus plus morality equals salvation. Now, for some of us, we understand that, we understand conceptually that, but here's kind of a different way that we say it, which is Jesus plus morality equals God's favor. If God's going to look happily on me, if God's going to give me favorable outcomes, then I have to behave a certain type of way. Now, this is how you know that, you know, perhaps that you lean towards the legalism side. If you've ever asked this question, what happens to the person who perhaps was a terrible, terrible, I mean, they murdered, they killed on their deathbed right before they were, you know, uh, their life was ended, and they all of a sudden said, you know what, I place my faith, my hope, my trust in Jesus. Does that person go to heaven? Because on the other side of that, perhaps you got some people that are good people, somebody that's nice, somebody that's kind, somebody that's hospitable, somebody who's generous, but doesn't believe in Jesus. You look at them and you say, wait a second, there's... There's some inconsistencies. That seems like an injustice, right? I mean, you got one person, horrible things done, all kinds of evil that's done, all kinds of people that have been hurt, and all of a sudden they just say a prayer, believe a belief, and now God says, I love you, I care about you, come dwell with me forever in heaven, and you got this good person? Underneath that, here's here's what that says. My good behavior, not just Jesus, but my good behavior 
earns me into God's good graces. On the other side of that, there's a, there's a way to describe this, which you don't need to really know outside of the name, is antinomianism. And basically what that means is that's like the Oprah of Christianity, okay? So not saying anything about Oprah, but that's just kind of like the, the, the love wins out type of thing that we're, you know, we're all just, we're basically all good people. We're basically all acceptable people to God. From time to time, I make a mistake. From time to time, you make a mistake. But to err is human, so, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. At the end of the day, the good outweighs the bad. I'm 51 to 49, so I'm good to go with God. Now, those are two groups of people. Two thought processes, which for us are very common. In fact, most of us walked into Christianity with some type of that thought process. And that was the exact same thought processes as the Jews and the Gentiles. And so Paul writes to say, this then is what God says and speaks to that tension of good people, basically acceptable, or Jesus Plus, work, 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 work really, really hard. Now, if you got your Bible, you can open up to Galatians chapter 2 as Paul starts to lean into this. In chapter 2, verse 15, he, by the way, is in the middle of a conversation with Peter. Um, Peter, who was like rock star of their faith, he talks to Peter. Peter had done some stuff wrong. Essentially, Peter was a uh, hypocritical racist in that he had some thoughts and prioritizations and some nationalities towards the ethnicity of what was the Jewish folk over the Gentile folk. And so Paul, as opposed to saying, Peter, you're hypocritical racist, basically says, Peter, your sin is that you're not living in line with the gospel. And in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, gets to the core of basically what he's saying. So chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, if you were here last week, you know this, but this is what Peter was saying, or Paul was saying to Peter when he said this. Peter, you know that we have the lineage of God. You know that we have the entire history. You know, Peter, that we have what our forefathers and our forefathers before them and their fathers before them we have the entire history, and on top of that, we have the morality. Why he said Gentile sinners is because they thought in broad categories, Jews, better morality, Gentiles, worse morality. So we're not the notorious sinners, we're the Jews. In other words, if there's a reason or a right or a standing before God that is good because of who you are and what you've done, it should be us. Because categorically, we're not the sinful group. But, verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this verse is what everything so far in the book of Galatians has been leading up to, and everything for the rest of the book is gonna be clarifying in verse 16. This is the apex, this is the summary, this is the thing in the entire book. And here's what he says. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Now, let me define what justified means because before this, he was talking about clean and unclean, clean and unclean. Then he gets to this word justified. In a religious sense, we understand that that basically means that you're forgiven. You're made better. But what's fascinating is Paul here turns to a legal term. He turns to a legal term and he says, this is like as if you're in a court of law. And the job of the judge, a just judge, was to pronounce one group as condemned in one group as righteous. One group as condemned, one group as righteous. And in that, the righteous are justified. The righteous are made good. 
Justification was a sense where you would look at someone and said, you are not only forgiven, but you are not guilty. You are not only given grace and forgiven because of your insufficiencies, but you're looked at as if you're innocent. You see, when you and I use this phrase justified, uh, a lot of times in the Bible, when we, a lot of times in our culture, when we use words, we use words that give a little bit of different, different of a meaning from when we read the words in the Bible. But this actually is a very, very good description of it. Um, if you're like our house, um, we justify a lot of things. Um, we go on Amazon all the time and justify why we need something that's absolutely ridiculous that we don't need, you know, because it's two-day shipping and it's free. And so it's like, a, it's a great deal. And Prime Day, it's like, oh my gosh, I never knew that I needed a cordless radio walkie-talkie. It's like, I've got a cell phone. You know, I don't, I don't need that. But, you know, we, we justify the fact there's a, um, there's a story I heard that's a pastor story, so it's probably not true. We're going to pretend like it is. Um, and, and this is kind of how it went. You know, there was two kids, they were walking in the hallway, they were at school, and one kid just turned around and just, you know, absolutely just decks kid number two. And everybody stops and they grab the kid and all this stuff. And this is the point where you would be like, if you're, you know, YouTubing this and you got a little thing on your phone and somebody in the background is screaming, world star, world star. And this is the, this is the point where you know, they start to wrestle the kid away, they wrestle the kid away. And as, and as the kid, you know, is wrestling away, he says, stop, stop, look in his pocket, look at his pocket, and look at the other kid's pocket. And the kid has a gun. Now, the action was the same, but how they viewed that action was different. Similarly, when we try to justify, we try to give context to why our actions, while we, we try to change how we view our actions. When Jesus justifies us, he doesn't simply see us as forgiven. He sees us as innocent. The view of who we are shifts and changes. And this is right, this is, this is essentially the question, the central question of all religion. Is how do I get God to view me as good enough? Because God is holy, God is pure, God is perfect. And the understanding is that no one, as Paul would say, it's justified. No one's pronounced innocent by works of the law. No one in their behavior can behave well enough that all of a sudden I am acceptable to God. Because I'm sinful, and you're sinful, and we're all sinful. And I can be good, as good as I possibly can be, and I can be good compared to you, and you can be good, good compared to me. And the problem with comparison with each other is that we're all just kind of good. This is like, by the way, if you've ever played sports with a bunch of people who are unathletic, and they're like, you're so good at basketball. I'm like, dude, I am terrible. You're just real bad, you know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's my friend group. So this is, that's how we compare each other. But we don't see God in his holiness. And so Paul looks at Peter and says, Peter, man, no one is going to be viewed as innocent in the, in the eyes of a holy God by being a good enough person because we're not good enough people. In fact, the understanding was is that no one was going to be good enough. No one would ever be good enough. And because no one would ever be good enough, Jesus saw that, did not condemn us for it, didn't say, you, you're a terrible person, you're a terrible person. Jesus wasn't standing up in heaven saying, you're awful, you're awful, you're awful, feel bad, feel bad, feel bad, feel bad, feel bad. His point was, is I want you to be aware of the fact that you have a need for me and in that I am going to provide a way out. When Jesus died on the cross, he was the substitute. He took our place. 
And Paul says, no one's going to be justified. No one's going to be seen as innocent, viewed as innocent because of works of the law, because they obeyed well enough, they attended enough, they moraled themselves enough. So, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Now, I like Paul because he's like, all right, so everybody who just thinks backwards, right? So I'm going to say it forwards, I'm going to say it backwards so that everybody understands it, no matter if you're dyslexic or not. Verse, the end of this to clarify, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. By behaving, moraling, attending, you thought perhaps because, man, if I, you know, the reason I'm here is because I've just been such a bad person that I'm going to go and I'm going to go to church on Sunday. We're so glad that you're here. But don't think that that's what gives you a good standing with God. Now, for some of us, you're pretty reasonable. Well, most of us, hopefully, you're pretty reasonable. Some of us are skeptical. This is the natural skeptical response to this thought process. That if I, am not, if I am not pronounced good by being good, then why be good? If God justifies the bad, then why would anybody be good? Right? This is, this is when we look at God, we say, that, that's, just, that's, that's just too easy. Because if God makes bad people and sees them as good because of what Jesus did, then why on God's green earth would anybody be good in the first place? And being on top of that, on top of that, if it wasn't about obeying, 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 then what the heck is the point of the rules in the first place? I mean, think about it. If it was never about rules, if it was never about morality, if it was never about earn your way, earn your way, earn your way, earn your way, then why in the world would God spend Genesis, or Genesis, you know, Exodus, I'm sorry, chapter 20, when he gave the Ten Commandments, and then went from verse on verse on verse, right? Why in the world, when we read through the Bible in a year, when we go through Genesis, Exodus, we're kind of making some good ways, you know, get to the end of Exodus, it gets a little bit tricky, and then Numbers and Deuteronomy, it's like good grief. You know, I am never reading the Bible again, this is awful. Because it's rule after rule after rule, regulation after regulation after regulation, things that we wouldn't even think to make rules about. So let me ask you this. If it's not about morality, if it has nothing to do with rules, then why in God's green earth would God give an entire book of rules? In fact, why would Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Go through and continue to say and expound on the rules. Give depth to the rules. What would he say? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But if you look at a woman lustfully, or in fact, if you woman look at a man, if anybody looks at anybody lustfully, you've not committed adultery in your heart. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I tell you, Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. You want to know the, you want to know the heart behind the law? This is how perfect you are. Why would God give us all of those rules? And if it wasn't about being good in the first place, then why would anybody be good? Now, the beautiful thing is we think we invented some of those thoughts. Paul phrases it better than we could phrase it, the counter argument to this. Paul basically says, so let me take verse 17 and 18 and 19 and explain to you the counter-argument and go ahead and answer this question before you really get started asking it. So verse 17, he says it this way. But 
If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners as Christ, then a servant of sin. Now, that's, this is one of those times where you read the Bible and you're like, I, that, that, that was probably profound, but I have no clue what that just said. Okay? So, here's what he's saying. But if, in our endeavor to be justified... Now, when he says that, the idea isn't I'm trying to seek justification. Justification is something that I'm earned. His understanding is that I am justified, but as a justified human being, I still have flesh, and I'm still going to be sinful. So if in my endeavor, if while I'm justified, I am on planet Earth and I am still sinful, and God looks at me and says, okay, that's okay, I forgive you, you're justified, you're sinless. If in my endeavor, God justifies me, then isn't... Jesus, at the end of the day, promoting sin. In other words, let's, let's take this example. Next week, Grant's going to talk. And he's going to talk about chapter 3, and he's going to start talking about some verses. But let's, let's just say Grant, for instance. Let's say Grant killed a bunch of people. Terrible example. But let's just, you know, let's get, woo, 11 o'clock. So... Let's just say Grant killed a bunch of people, and I saw that, and I was the judge, and it was my job as the judge to make sure justice prevailed. And I knew Grant had killed some people, and in fact, I said, Grant, you're not only forgiven, you are innocent. He said, thanks so much. And he kept killing and killing and killing. Now, wouldn't that at some point mean Ben... You have the power, you have the authority, you have the standard. You're not, you're not declaring him just, you're not justifying him. You're enabling that sin. In fact, you're empowering that sin. In other words, he's saying, hey, it would be reasonable to say beyond what we think, beyond our thoughts of can anybody just sin if we're forgiven, doesn't that mean on the other side of it too that Jesus promotes sin? Because again, John Stott said it this way. By the way, for those of you who grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, not Papa Stott, John Stott, who is a theologian, said it this way. Exact same thing. If God justifies the evil, then why be good? If God justifies the bad, then why be good? He says even further, doesn't that make Jesus a champion of sin. His response is certainly not. So just kind of ease that tension a little bit. Next two verses, he explains why. Verse 18. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, he says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, what he means by that is if I rebuild this idea that I, at the end of the day, need to earn my way into God's good graces. I need to, by observing the law, by works of the law, by observing the morals, by observing the morals in the Old Testament, by observing the morality in the New Testament, if I this, de- de- decide and declare that the way that we earn our way into God's good graces is through our behavior, then here's what I'm going to find out. One, I'm going to find out what I found out in the first place. I'm a sinner because when I look at the law, when I look at the framework, I fall inevitably short. Each and every person has fallen short. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's not a condemnation. That is a reality. And he says that I'm going to find that I'm a sinner. And it's interesting because there's a scholarly debate about what he means by this. 
In fact, the next several verses, there's a lot of debate on the implications because there's just so many layers to it. Here's the other things that he's saying or that scholars will think that Paul is talking about. That if I try to build my way back into God's good graces through my behavior, I'm now in effect saying, Jesus is not sufficient. His, his death on the cross is not sufficient for my salvation, for my justification. I'm now declaring Jesus insufficient. He says, so... If I try to do that, I'm going to declare that Jesus is insufficient. I'm going to find myself sinful anyways. And he goes on to the next verse and he says this. For through the law, I died to the law. Let me just say, this might be the very biggest transformational verse in all of Scripture. This part right here, if you don't understand anything else, one... The complexity of what he said here is debated because, it's, I mean, there are very few statements in all of ancient literature as a whole that are as complex as what Paul just said. But this is the most transformative verse in understanding Jesus and religion. Here's what I mean by that. Paul says this, for through the law, because of the moral framework, I died to the law. For through the law, I understood that I am incapable of performing my way into God's good graces. I understand that I inevitably fall short. For through the law, I died to the law. I realized I could not fulfill the law. I couldn't be a good enough person. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 3, which very much just clarifies. In fact, Romans, in a lot of ways, is, a, is Paul going more in-depth on what he said in the book of Galatians. And this is what he says in Romans. He said, for through the law came knowledge of sin. In other words, the reason the rules exist was never for you to prove your way into God's good graces, was never for me to prove my way into God's good graces. It was so that we could realize we couldn't prove our way into God's good graces. Paul's saying, man, through the law, through this morality, through this framework, I became aware that I was completely incapable of gaining a right standing with the law. And in fact, when Jesus came, he came and he lived it perfectly. Only person who ever has. And when he died, he abolished the law for everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus. And Paul in this is identifying with Christ. He says, man, through the law, I was incapable. And through Jesus, I died to the law. This next verse, let me just, this next, not even the next verse, the tail end of this verse is so extraordinarily powerful because this is how he ends this. So that I might live to God. Here's what's unspoken. As long as I am behaving my way into behaving into God's good graces, as long as I am trying to bend my morality and white knuckle my will, that I can gain favor with God, that I can gain salvific favor with God, that I end up in heaven someday, and maybe favorable circumstances on earth. You know what? I'm not living for God. I'm living for myself to please God so that God will be happy with me so that I can have favorable circumstances, favorable salvation. In other words, as long as I'm living to try to earn my way into God's good graces? You know who I'm really living for? Me. Because I want to live to please God so that God can be good to me. But Paul says, man, for the first time, for the first time, I'm actually living for God. 
I'm living for God, not, I'm not living for God so that God will be happy with me. God is already happy with me, so I live for God. God already loves me, so I live for God. God already has given his son to die for me, forgiven me, looks at me as clean, looks at me as sinless, looks at me perfectly. In fact, this is a super nerdy way, and I almost hesitate to say it, but the, how a, a, a really churchy way to think about justified is you know, justified means that God looks at me just if I'd never sinned. So anyways... Yeah, 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 I got you. Anyways, that God would look at me just as if I had never sinned. And that compels me to live for him. You see, religion says, earn your way and God will help you have favor and you'll have favor with God. Jesus, the gospel says, I have favor with God, therefore I live for him. Out of a love for him, out of the fact that God so loves me that I, for the first time, don't live for myself by living for God. I just live for God because God is already pleased with me because of his son, Jesus. Huge difference, huge mental shift that happens. He continues on as he he says in verse 20. Gives a little bit more meat behind this. He says, so I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In other words, and so right now what I'm doing, man, the same way that Jesus died, the same way that Jesus was crucified, that's like my life is crucified. It's not about my life. It's not about me anymore. But Christ, he lives in me. He compels me. He, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus now lives inside of me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. I live by faith in the Son of God, who, by the way, loved me. And gave himself for me. Now, we've experienced this dynamic before, many of us have. For anybody who's ever been in a relationship that you actually wanted to be in, you've experienced this. Husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends. In fact, if you haven't been in a relationship, maybe like with your your cat or with your dog or, you know, you did some stuff. I don't know who else, like I was thinking pet owners, your iguana, I don't know, whatever your, whatever your particular preference is. You've experienced this. From, from a guy's perspective, guys, every guy has been through it and every guy makes fun of another guy when he goes through it. You know, there's a big game happening this weekend, we're all going, come on, you know, all this stuff. And you've got a rando friend who met this girl and she loves him and he loves her and they're just so weird that he doesn't even go to the game. It's just, he does something that starts with the word pumpkin in it, you know, and, and you're looking at like, you know, you, everyone makes fun of him. They say, you know, do bros before chicks, you know, and they obviously don't use that phrase, but you know, they just say, they, they say, you know, dude, what are you doing? You know, you're acting so goofy and right. We've all done really goofy stuff and not because, not because, not because um, there was a girl who one day you met, or there was a guy one day you met, or there was a, you know, puppy as someone had him for sale that you saw and they said, okay, in order to date me, in order to, you know, be my owner, not for boyfriends and girlfriends, but for the pets, saying some of y'all are possessive um you know in in order to be my girlfriend to be my boyfriend here's what you got to do here is the framework here is the context to which you have to perform in order to earn my admiration i gotta have flowers this often i gotta go on dates this often you better buy me perfume i don't know like scrunchies you know you you know (laughs) classic let me tell you if you get into a relationship and someone says that, break up. <laughs> but the reason why we have done things that were so out of character, 
wasn't because that was a requirement for the relationship. It was as a response to the love we felt in the relationship. I mean, right, come on, parents, this is why, this is why we hope our kids listen to us. Not because we want to dominate and you better listen or else here's the consequences. Because we so love our kids. We want what's best for our kids. And so we talk to our kids. We parent our kids. Sometimes, in fact, we discipline our kids. But it's not because we're mad at our kids. It's because we have such a deep, passionate, self-giving, sacrificial love for our kids. That you do, no one sits back and thinks, okay, I am going to spawn another human being and I'm not going to sleep for the next five years. I'm going to spend over my mortgage payment on their daycare. And by the way, I could have so much more in savings. I could have so much more time. I could have so much more sleep. I would probably have a more successful career. So here, have a kid. But you love them. And you sacrifice for them. Paul would say, as he's talking to Peter, by the way, Peter. That is the gospel. That you don't perform, you don't behave in order to gain favor with God. By the way, if you were doing that, you wouldn't be doing it for God, you'd be doing it for yourself. You'd do it because as John said, we love because he first loved God us and my life is now lived as Paul would say in verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but he who lives in me this life I now live I live by faith in the son of God who so loved me he gave his son to die for me. And if he would give his one and only son, if he would give the God of the universe, Jesus, to die for sinful me, if God would justify a sinful person, if God would justify, inexplicably justify a bad person like me, then I will gladly live for him. As his spirit, by the way, lives inside of me and empowers me and compels me to do so. And he just wants to make this so clear to the Galatians. He ends in verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And just so you know, if it was possible to gain your way, Jesus died for no reason. This is justification. This is the gospel. Perhaps you walked in this morning thinking because of who you were, thinking because of what you'd done, thinking because of where you were last night, where you were last week, where you were on that business trip, where you were, you know, whenever you were there, whatever you did with whomever you did it with. Perhaps you walked in thinking God looks favorably or unfavorably on you. And you see, perhaps, again, you're, you're here for the first time ever. You're here just trying to check out this Christianity thing. And you see a bunch of other people who smile, and you think, gosh, did they just get a good night's sleep and have more caffeine than I do because they just seem weirdly happy. Let me just tell you. The fact that they look good and smile does not make them more righteous. The, ha- the fact that maybe they have a different set of morality, maybe they don't, does not make them more right in God's eyes. 
God no more looks at whoever, if we were to compare, you know, our mountains of sin, if we were to graph chart it and you were to have the biggest, you know, chart on the thing where you're like, let me just notch that down a little bit, let me just tell you. Compared to the holiest person in here, God would not look at us any differently. Because our justification is not by works, it's by faith. That when I look at Jesus, I place my belief, I place my hope, I trust in. Now let me explain faith as we're ending. Faith is simply this. I place my trust in my inability to gain my way, to earn my way, to behave my way into God's good graces. But instead, I trust that Jesus' death, as he was God, as he took the sin of the world, to consider us not just forgiven, but clean, justified, innocent. I place my trust in his sufficiency, in my insufficiency. That is the gospel, and that is faith. That is the thing that Paul so deeply wants to clarify. He spends six chapters in the book of Galatians clarifying the gospel to people who are Christians who are already supposed to get it. Because inside each one of us, there is a gravitational pull away from it. 